0: Well, we can go ahead and call it quits if y'all want to. We can go home good there. Uh, Thank you so much for allowing us to come, me and my family today. This is something we had talked about uh, when your pastor had come here. We talked about coming to visit. Let me give you a little background. Brother Allen is probably one of my best friends in the world. We served together at Calvary Baptist Church in Scottsboro for about five years. And uh, pretty much I told him toward the end, especially, that I'm your bulldog. I'll do whatever you (laughs) need me to do. But... um, We're grateful to be here today. We're grateful to be able to share a word with you. And I I know you can look at the title and you can kind of see and say, "Uh oh, what are we in for? Well, let me just say this. I I want to do this more as an encouragement, more than an admonishment, I guess, as the best way to say it. But we're going to look in the book of Haggai in chapter one this morning. We're going to look through the first eight verses and we're going to look at some things that the prophet is sharing to the people as they are in captivity still. But God has given them many of them the opportunity to come back through the power of the king and of the government at the time to go back to Jerusalem and to rebuild the temple and to rebuild the walls of the city. Now about this same time we're talking about Nehemiah and Ezra that come along and and it's the same challenge that they issue to the people. So we're going to look at this account today. So if you would, turn in your uh, Bibles to Haggai chapter 1 and we'll begin to read this scripture together. And verse 1 says, In the second year of Darius the king, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came by the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, This people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. Then the word of the Lord came by Haggai the prophet, saying, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies desolate? Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. You've sown much, but harvest little. You eat, but there is not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. And he who earns, earns wages to put into a purse with holes. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Verse 8, go up to the mountains, bring wood and rebuild the temple that I may be pleased with it and be glorified, says the Lord." God, we thank you for your word today. Speak through it, challenge us, and help us to obey it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, you guys are going through a what is considered by some to be a difficult process. Anytime you go through a building and through a renovation, for those of you who've been married and tried to build a house together, it's a challenge. We have not. That's why we're still married in my house. Uh, we, we know that that is, is just one more strain I don't think we want to add right now. But oftentimes god will allow his churches and his people to do some things like that and some of that is for growth and for ministry and things to that effect but the thing that i want us to be careful of as we as you guys approach this and as we've approached this in different times in different scenarios is it's real easy to get caught up in the building process and the building itself and forget about the temple of the holy spirit of god and that's our bodies that's us that's our lives and our relationship with jesus christ so as we think about what we're going to share this morning i want you to look at it from this angle and i want to kind of share some things to encourage you to be careful of as you're walking so that you don't get caught in the trap that we see in this story in the book of Haggai. Now, let's go back in history. These people had been in captivity, Babylonian captivity, and they had suffered long for this, and they had suffered because of their sins. God had warned them. God had sent warning to the people to say, be faithful to me, come back to me, worship me, and forsake the idols of the land that you've been following and the things that you've been doing and and really the reason that we chase after idols and we chase after things such as that is because it's something that feels good to us the old saying in high school was if it feels good do it And that's really the the mentality of the earthly body that Satan wants us to adopt is to, if it's something that feels good and gives us the feels and makes it everything be just right for that moment, that's what we need to chase, never mind long-term consequences. And that's where these people were. They were in captivity because of following idols, because they followed themselves. Now, they have prayed, they have asked God to bring them back, to restore their nation. And God, through the kings that were over them at the time, and the government that was over them, allowed them to come back to rebuild the temple. And as we read in this account, that's not exactly how that went down. They decided that, hey, we got back to Jerusalem, you know what, let's take care of some things, and then we'll look at this. So, one of the first things that we've got to be aware of in the issues of selfish service is schedule issues. How many of you guys keep a busy schedule? Don't raise your hand, but just think about it. I'm not even going to tell you how many times uh, my wife says to me, can we get that on your schedule? That reminds me, slow down a little bit. And I don't say that I do because I don't always. But we always have things going on. And we live in a day and time where everything is so demanding. You would think in an era of convenience and all the things we have at our fingertips that we could manage to slow down. But no, all that does is increase the rate of production, right? We expect more of ourselves and out of other people and people expect it out of us. So in this story, as we look at this, we see that there are some schedule issues as we look at verses 1 and verse 2. In the first verse, we see that he's very specific on when the word of the Lord came to Haggai and when he shared this word. And so what we've got to understand is while God is not constrained by time, he lives and exists outside of space and time. That's why he's sovereign, and that's why he knows what's going to happen before it does. He's existed in eternity past, present, and future right now. The things that we don't even know are going to happen, he's already there. That's why he's God and we're not. He's not constrained by time, but because we live based on time, he, he has a specific time and a specific order of events that he wants to happen. And so we've got to understand that, that when God works, there is a specific time for everything. Ecclesiastes 3.1 says there's an appointed time for everything. And there is a time for every event under heaven. Nothing that happens on this earth, nothing that happens in our lives is by accidents. There's nothing that God does not already know. Now, there are some that would love to challenge that and say, well, if God is so good, why do bad things happen? Listen, there's a greater detail to the plan of God than I can ever understand. But this I know. We live in a broken, sinful world. I know you've heard your pastor say that because he said that many times for five years. When we endured some things as a family that were very difficult, one of the things he said, I don't have an explanation. I just know that in this broken, sinful world, the only hope we have is in Christ Jesus. So even though there is a purpose for every event, it doesn't change that God is God, but he filters what can happen. And guys, that's grace in and of itself because what we deserve and what should happen to us is way worse than anything that ever has. Anything short of hell is grace. Anything short of hell is grace. So there's a purpose, there's an appointment for every time. God has a plan that I don't understand and that I can't see. And if I could, what would change about that? If you knew what was going to happen 10 years from now based on a decision that you have to make today, how would you view that differently? Obviously, there's a reason we have to be blinded to that. We have to have faith in what God does. I I really believe this. If we knew everything that happened, then we'd start trying to control it, wouldn't we? We would try to control our own destiny because that's what we like to do. We don't want to be... uh, constrained to a path we, we want to have flexibility to control what we do i am a type a control freak I, I don't want to control your life now don't get me wrong but i'd love to control everything that happens in mine but i can't because god is god and he wants me to trust him and know that everything he has is in its appointed season here's the good news of that we look at history and and, and i've had people have this debate well if jesus is so important why didn't god put him in to play in the first place Why did he wait so long before Jesus Christ came? Guys, I I don't understand all that, but I know this much. It just gave people an opportunity to see the futility of chasing any other means to get to God and to eternity with him other than Jesus Christ, because everything before Jesus did work. Now, the law of God was set up to buy peace, and and following the rituals and sacrifice, it would buy you peace with God temporarily. And it would also demonstrate how weak that our flesh is and that we needed something more. But, as Romans 5, 6, while we were still helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. Now, 1 Peter 5, 6, as we we think about that, we move on. Think about serving God. We, We see the salvation of God, but also serving God has its reward at the right time. Now, listen, I don't know where you guys are as a family of faith and in the ministry that you guys are doing. Uh, I've not got to talk to your pastor as much lately, but I know that he talked about a lot of things you guys were looking toward and hoping to see accomplished as you minister to this area. And boy, what an area do you have to minister to? The diversity of ideas and cultures and things that are coming into this area right now. And let me tell you, it's bleeding over into Scottsboro, too. Can't afford to live in Huntsville. Maybe you can afford to live in Scottsboro, crazy housing market. But nonetheless, there's a lot of different ideas and things going on and a lot of challenges that we have in ministry. Some of the things we're doing with the initiative project in Scottsboro right now, we're facing different cultures and trying to connect with them and it's difficult. And sometimes I want to hurry up and, and do some things and see results happen sooner than they will. And God has had to slow me down to remind me to be patient in that. And, and so as, um, as we're getting ready to do some things within our own church, I had a conversation with our pastor. And, and I was talking to him about some things we could do within the community right there around our church. And I said, here's the thing. People are not going to want to be patient. I know that. But if we will be patient and trust God, and, and I say this for me, then we can see God do great things. But what happens is we want to hurry things up, and that feeds a lot of the schedule issues, but it also feeds discouragement if we're not careful. Now, I'm saying all this to set up what the response is in verse 2. So put all those things together, and we know that God has a specific timing in His plan. But sometimes because of the human nature we have and the impatience that we have, we just come to the Lord and say, you know what? Uh, you know, this is just, it's not a good time for me to, to do this right now. It's not a good time for me to be patient. Verse 2, when he says, this people says, The time has not come, even the time for the house of the Lord to be rebuilt. The Hebrew in that really speaks of an inconvenience. Doing the work of God is never going to be convenient to the schedule that we want to keep or that others expect of us, okay? I, I, I look at things now and... <clears throat> And I think about so many things that I want to accomplish in life along with the spiritual life that I'm supposed to have. And it's never convenient to follow God. It's never convenient to sacrifice something you want to do to be obedient to God. But I'm learning it. The more that I trust Him and the more that I'm willing to sacrifice, the more God blesses that. So as you guys are going through this process, you're renovating your physical sanctuary. Guys, it's a good time to be working on the inner sanctuary too. And to, to realize that it's all right to lay some things down for just a minute and take a breath, and let God work and renovate your spiritual life. I didn't know where this was going, but boy, this has been fun already for me. Anyway, <clears throat> Matthew chapter eight, verse twenty one through twenty two, Jesus is calling disciples to follow him. And when we think about inconvenience, he gets several responses. <clears throat> and as he's calling people to follow him, they're they're saying. All kinds of excuses. And this one in particular in this account speaks up before Jesus can talk to him. He's already heard the other responses, and Jesus' retort to that. And now look what happens. Another of the disciples said to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. Now, this is not a term saying I've got a funeral to wait on. It's saying, I'm waiting on an inheritance. It's kind of a slang phrase, I guess, if you want to call it that. At the time, it was a way of saying, let me wait till I get my money and all my affairs straightened out and all these resources, and then I'll follow you. But listen to Jesus' response to him. Follow me and allow the dead to bury their own dead. Now, when you read this response, excuse me for just a second. When you read this response, Jesus says, let the dead bury their own dead. He is really speaking of spiritually dead people. He's saying, let people who do not follow me, who do not trust in me, trust in that inheritance that they're waiting on. See, we're always working for something. Now, just curious, and I am going to ask for hands raised if you'll help me out. How many of you folks have retired or are retired? Man, when we get done, we'll have a seminar. Tell me about it. Make me want to do that, okay? (laughs) It won't take much, I promise. Um, but anyway, we we work when we work our jobs, we're working for retirement. I'm working for a pension right now. I'm debating on, because of the kind of retirement I have, when I want to retire and maybe do some piddling or do some side jobs and things like that. That's what I'm working toward in my job. And, and so often, that's what we focus on, is on some sort of goal that we want to accomplish before we can follow God. Hey, listen, right now... <clears throat> I know there's a temptation because I've heard it when we've gone through building programs in different places where we've been. I've seen it in other people. There's a temptation to say, when we get all the work done, boy, what can God do? Let me tell you, God can do a lot in this basement right now, probably as much or more than he'll do upstairs because that's the kind of God he is. He's just a powerful God. We just sing about it. We just celebrate it. So we've got to trust that and we've got to believe that. It allows us to forget our own personal goals. But then we look at Luke chapter 10, verse 38 through 42, and we read about the visit that Jesus pays. And many of you probably know this story, so it's not going to be new to you. But it says, as they were traveling along, he entered a village and a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. Good place to be. Verse 40 says, But Martha was distracted with all her preparations, and she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all the serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. I love how that translates literally, so many things. But one thing is necessary, for Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. I, in our house, and, and we can talk about this outside of here, we stay busy a lot, and there, it always feels like there's so much going on to the point of it's just like, man, we've got so much to take care of, and you end up worrying about so much if you're not careful, you don't take care of anything, you know what I mean? And, and that's easy to do. And this is exactly what Jesus is trying to point out in this story is that Martha is so worried about meeting a cultural expectation. The cultural expectation of the time and place then was that the ladies would do everything they could to make the house hospitable for the guest. Well, Jesus is a pretty well-known guest at this point, And he's got a lot of buddies coming with him. So she is working as hard as she can to make sure that he has everything he needs, that all the guests are happy. And I mean, I'm sure she's probably breaking a pretty good sweat doing this, wasting that good shower that she had before she got up that morning, you know. She's really doing a lot of things to do this. And then she looks and she sees Mary sitting idle at the feet of Jesus. Guys, I'm going to tell you something that will get you in trouble in the church is busyness. You can have all the activities in the world, but if we ain't really focused on the mission and and the purpose of serving Jesus Christ and making him known— then all we're doing is being busy, and you're burning out. You burn out really quickly. So just like in this story, what Jesus says is, you're so worried about so many things and accomplishing so much, but if you will just focus on the most important thing like Mary is doing, she's taking time to listen to Jesus. Guys, our days are full at our house. Y'all probably are too. I wouldn't be surprised to hear similar stories. And at the end of the night when everybody is in bed, And I'm at the point where, hey, you know what? I didn't have time when I got up this morning because I was trying to rush to get to work because I wanted to sleep that extra 30 minutes. And I didn't get a chance to really read the Word of God, and I hadn't had a chance all day. But, man, am I tired. It takes a discipline to do that. And I'd love to tell you that every evening or every morning I was successful in spending time with God, but the reality is that I'm not. I, i'm not the truth is that i am not successful in that but the times when i slow down enough to say you know what it can wait for just a minute and i spend time alone with god i i cut out that time and make that time and make myself available to him that's when i see the most blessing and see him work at most in my life schedule issues we spent a long time on that but we're going to build up to these last few things as we go to verse three and four we look at security issues security issues look what he says Is it time for you, in verse 4, yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses? One translation says sealed houses, while this house lies desolate. They were taking care of their own personal well-being without worrying about what God had commanded them to do. It was less about building a temple building, but about obeying God and making time and sacrifice for Him. And some would say, well, boy, that's awful demanding. Look at the cross if you want to see demanding, guys. Look at the cross of Jesus and see what demanding is. That's what sin was. It was demanding. But Christ went. He served the purpose of the Father. And we're to follow his example. What happens is we, we have this misguided trust in our own selfish security. When we start thinking more about our own house, when we start thinking more about our own lives and less about what God wants you to do, that'll get you in trouble. First of all, this is not a pat-on-the-back moment what I'm about to do next, but I want you guys to understand the challenge of making that decision, okay? When I left the position that I had at Calvary back in October of 19, the church took care of us in so many ways. I'm very grateful for the gifts they supplied to support our ministry in that time that I was there, and I was there over nine years, and I remember walking away, we began to think about, well there's one aspect of obeying god that we hadn't really thought about what's that going to do to the budget and thankfully god has provided for us in such a way that we've been taken care of and it's up to us what he's provided us to make good decisions but nonetheless it, it was it was a moment where i started thinking about financial security all of a sudden i was thinking well Maybe I should find a way to get back on staff somewhere, but until we can kind of transition this thing down in Bible. And then here's the best part. Started spiritually posturing here. And then I can support this new ministry a little bit better. That's the temptation that went through my mind. That's just being transparent, guys. But what God reminded me of is that I'm not to trust in what I can provide for myself, but what He will provide if I just obey. And it may be sometimes that we cut it awful close when we follow Him. But if we trust him and we obey him, he takes care of us in that way. In Luke chapter 12, verse 16 through 21, he tells him a parable saying, the land of a man, a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? In verse 18, he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, eat. Drink and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you, and now who will own what you have prepared? So is the man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Now the warning to us as individuals is let's don't take so much care of us that we neglect the ministry of God. And everybody in this room as a believer, if you are a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ, And listen, if you're going to be a believer, you might as well be a follower, right? But if you are a believer and follower in Jesus Christ, we have to make sure that we take care of his business first, trusting him as our security and not being selfish with our resources. It's difficult to do. Hey, guys, I love to enjoy life. We came back from a beach trip just, what, about a week or two ago. And I enjoyed doing things like that. And it wasn't cheap. I mean, I don't know if y'all ever checked prices at the beach lately, but And I'm going to tell you, as a sidebar, there's a lot of folks up north, out west that love coming to the beach this year. I've never seen so much traffic, and I I think my wife can attest to the fact that every hour you heard sirens from the EMS because there was a crash. People just being ridiculous and impatient. But I love doing stuff like that. I love being able to enjoy things, go to concerts, do things with my kids, and, and take them on trips and stuff like that. But if I don't prioritize not just money, guys, but myself, and my energies toward doing what god has called me to do and guess what he has a call for each and every one of us then i'm misguided in my security i'm trusting in myself and doing things for myself church be careful as you go through these renovation processes and here's what i've seen in a lot of churches some of y'all may say oh he's one of those here we go hang on with me sometimes we put a lot of stock in the building and the storehouse more than we do the god of the storehouse it's not a renovation of a sanctuary that's going to lead somebody to jesus christ it creates an environment where we can invite people in sure and you ought to use it as such but let's don't put so much stock on how well decorated the church is i'm going to tell you something guys i've had just as much spiritual movement here in a basement than i've had in our sanctuary you know god can move anywhere god can do anything anywhere right now what the team is doing in ecuador some of y'all have probably been tracking it i've just now got to thank you melody for letting me follow those things to see the building that they're working and i'm like i don't look like anything i've seen around here i mean it's not sealed and it's not secure feeling but man the spirit of god will move there and change lives just the same but be careful not to trust in your own riches and in the provisions that god has given you. and listen to this godly obedience will produce righteous security You can trust in that Isaiah chapter 32 verse 17 through 18 and the work of righteousness will be peace. Here's the best part about obeying God. You get peace. I get stressed out over a lot of things and I'm going to tell you as a student minister as a pastor both roles I've served in the church I stayed stressed out a lot and I'm not going to lie when we get to doing events and, and different ministries with the initiative project we're doing now I get stressed out but when I, when I trust in God, when I obey him, he grants the peace that I need, and he will for you as you follow him. It says, let me finish that text. And the service of righteousness, quietness, and confidence forever. Then my people will live in a peaceful habitation and in secure dwellings in undisturbed resting places. 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 3 through 5 says blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away reserved in heaven for you who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time Luke thank you for what you shared a little bit ago because the fact is we have endless days awaiting us We, we can praise him now but not only in this life but in the life to come we have an eternal security and an inheritance and a reason to celebrate Jesus Christ and when we follow him it it just makes that that much deeper and that much greater so be careful that we don't put our security in ourselves in our wealth our resources more than we do in being obedient and following what god directs us to do last thing i want to share with you this morning verse 5 through verse 6 if we try to serve ourselves selfishly, we'll have satisfaction issues. Verse 5, the Lord says, consider your ways. And then he details it in verse 6, you've sown much, but harvest little. No amount of labor we can do satisfies. You remember what I was sharing with you earlier about busyness? We like to stay busy because we feel like we're accomplishing something. And I'm going to tell you a truth, guys, that I'm learning and I'm trying to apply more and more. It's okay to say no to some things. And I'm going to tell you, there are a lot of people who will come and ask you to, to do something because they don't want to do it. I'm going to give a bit of testimony here. So as we're getting ready... Uh, as as I'm coming back from a mission trip in the summer of 2019, I talked to a local pastor, fellow friend of mine, who has what is basically a church replant in town. And I said, hey, I saw some things down in Montgomery that they're doing with this church replant. I wonder if we could do something like that in town. We began to talk, and suddenly things began to develop. And what is known as the Initiative Project now was born out of this. But I remember at the end of the conversation, I said, well, God don't give you ideas unless he wants you to be a part of it. I said, let me pray. Let me figure out how this is going to work. Because at the time, I was serving as a student minister. I was locked in. I was ready to do that. I wanted to see God do things in that ministry. But in this time, I was reminded that it's not about trying to do everything, it's trying to do what God wants you to do. I, I hated leaving that post. I mean, I did. It-, it was a little frustrating there at the end. I'm not going to lie to you. And there were plenty of times that I'd come home and say, man, I'm just spinning my wheels. But it wasn't that I didn't want to do the work. It's not about how much work you do, but it's the purpose and the obedience to God. If you're not obeying God, everything you do is pointless, okay? It's not gonna be blessed by him. Hosea chapter eight, verse seven, for they sow the wind and they reap the whirlwind. The standing grain has no heads. It yields no grain. Should it yield, strangers would swallow it up. If we're not obeying God, we're working for what? Maybe we're pleasing somebody else. Maybe we're meeting an expectation of someone else. But the greatest expectation I have to follow is that of Jesus Christ. No amount of labor satisfies. We read down, he says that you eat, but there's not enough to be satisfied. You drink, but there is not enough to become drunk. Now, I'm going to start with the first part, the Baptist part. We're good at eating. I don't know about you guys, but the first chance we had... Post-COVID, to have a fellowship, we had something that said, you know what, we'll figure this out. We'll go out to the pavilion at church, and we'll have our first fellowship, Big Fish Fry, together. We did this toward the end of April as we were getting ready to start up our services again and go full schedule. We love to eat. But listen, I don't care how good a church you are at fellowshipping. I don't care how good you are at shaking hands and doing things like that and, and, and how well your relationships with each other are. If the relationship with God is not well, then nothing else matters if our relationship with god is not well our marriage is not going to be well i don't care how good we think it is our relationships with our families with our our friends our church members our co-workers people outside of here if the relationship with god is not right then there's no amount of fellowship that will satisfy we will never be satisfied why well first of all those are human relationships and they're going to let us down I mean, let's think about all those relationships I talked about. How many times have we been let down in our marriages with each other? How many times have we been let down in our friendships, in our family relationships, in our church relationships? You ever been disappointed in somebody in the church? Hey, look around. There are a lot of people who were great leaders, who had great speaking abilities, who had great ministries that, because of their human tendency, fell. We're learning about some after their own deaths here these days and i'm not going to get up here and call names because that's not what it's about but what i'm saying is if we start putting our stock in people more than we do god and our fellowship with people more than we do god we're never going to be satisfied we're going to be disappointed more often than not it's because of that relationship with god that the relationship with others works okay Matthew chapter 10, verse 37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me, and he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And you can plug in any number of relationships you want in there. And the fact is, if we love someone else or anything else more than God, we're not worthy of the blessing of God and the blessing of that relationship to grow. So then let's go further into this text. You put on clothing, but no one is warm enough. So we were <laughs> moment of transparency. I, of course, I've talked to Brother Allen before, too, about dress and stuff. And I don't typically, you know, I don't always wear blue jeans and, you know, this um, when I come to church or preach. And I said, I don't want to look like an outlaw when I come in. And, and I was reading one of the things about what to expect, and I was sharing that with the family. We were trying to get packed and ready and all that different stuff. But here's the, the, the nail right here that we need to be aiming for. It doesn't matter what's out here what's in there I had a friend of mine that is now a deacon at the church where he is serving in Kentucky that in 10th grade he had not, his family, some of his family had been in church his whole life but he hadn't been and I remember inviting him one Sunday inviting him to an event first and then inviting him to come with us to church on Sunday he's like I don't have any good dress clothes. I said, i would be all right. I cleared it with my dad. He had blue jeans and just kind of a ratty old T-shirt, and I cleared it with my dad. I said, you care if I wear blue jeans today? Oh no, it's fine. I told him why. It's fine. <clears throat> and listen, if you know anything about Ronnie Day, my dad, suit and tie every Sunday. Sunday night, he might lose the tie. Might. <clears throat> He's just that kind of guy. That, that's, that's his offering to the Lord, he feels like. But some of us find ourselves worried about outer appearance so much that we miss out on the work God wants to do inside. Again, going back to the renovation of the church, you can make it look as good as you want, but if these temples, these individual temples in this room aren't right with God, it ain't going to matter. Be careful of that. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 3 through 4 says, Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Be humble. Be focused on him. Last thing it says in this text, and I'm going to wrap in just a minute. That's always a warning sign that you got, what, 15 more minutes, right? I'll try to keep it shorter, I promise. Not like Brother Allen does, you know. Anyway, is he watching this? (laughs) No. I love you, brother. If you are. He who earns wages puts in a purse with holes. No amount of financial success satisfied. Guys, I have enjoyed what God has blessed me with financially. He's taken care of me more than I deserve. I'm not rich, <laughs> so you know, don't come looking for a scholarship today because I've got two right there that I've got to work on for the next <clears throat> years. Um, but God's blessed us, and I'm thankful for that. However, we can tell you in our house, you can have a bigger house. It ain't going to satisfy you. I thought that was the answer when we first got married. But it didn't satisfy anything. Matter of fact, it made more of a burden. I had an uncle who passed away about almost a decade ago now that told me, he said, you know, the more you own, the more it owns you. Amen. The more you own, the more it owns you. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21 says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where th- thieves break in and steal but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. I'm not going to say much more about that except to say this. Our priorities are reflected in what we invest in. I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about time, your energy, your soul. It shows. It's great to have a lot of things. But I don't know if you guys have noticed anything made on this earth requires maintenance and breaks down and eventually just falls apart. I I don't know how much work we've done on our house since we moved in. I've got to go back and look at the numbers, what we've spent money on. But I sit there and I'm like, this is just aggravating sometimes. And it ain't that big of a house. We moved out of the bigger one. Sidebar. Sidebar. But even downsizing, you know, I thought downsizing is the answer. Well, no, you're still going to have problems there, too. You really are. It's not about stuff. It's not about how big your house is. It's not about how big your church facility is. It's about obeying God, finding satisfaction in Him and what He wants to do in your lives. Church, you have a great future. You have a great present if you want it. I have a great present if I want it. All of us do as individuals but here's what we've got to get back to. Verse 7 and 8 concluded this way. The Lord says, consider your ways. He says this twice in verse 5, and he says again in verse 7, consider your ways. And in verse 8, he basically says, he redirects them to go back and do what he told them to do. I don't know where you are as individuals. I speak for myself, and there are many times God has to say, consider your ways. Where are you? What are you doing with your life? Let's start back to building the kingdom and not be consumed with our own convenience and with matters of things that make us happy. Let's make God happy. Church, I I know your pastor has spoken so highly of you guys when we talk, and I thank God that y'all have been so good to him in that way here because we we, we were lockstep in battle together. And I saw how faithful he can be. And I want to encourage you to encourage him this morning, okay? Pray for him. But the best thing to do to encourage him is to demand of yourself that you're going to follow everything God leads you to do. Unite in the mission of serving God. Let's walk together that way. While they come with a song of invitation, I'm going to have a time of prayer, and then I'm going to turn it over to you guys. I know there's a couple guys going to be up here to, to receive anyone that would like to come and pray or make a decision. But I want to encourage you in this time as we pray just to make this point to, to seek out what is it God wants you to do. Consider your ways this morning. How is he saying to consider your ways? Lord, we thank you so much that you have granted your grace to allow us here today. And, God, I'm not the, the greatest at, at delivering a message, but, Lord, I know you've spoken a truth to me in this, and I, I have no doubt your word has spoken more truth than anything else. So, God, as we come at this time of decision, this time of making a, a public profession maybe, or maybe it's uh, a commitment to, to be a, a full-fledged member of this church, to follow in obedience and baptism as the Lord uh, Jesus Christ did, it may be uh, to surrender to a call to ministry, It may be just to go make amends with somebody. It could be somebody in this room. Whatever the case may be, God, speak to us this morning. Move on us and have your way. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.